This episode is brought to you by ABC. Station 19 is back for its final and hottest season yet. Andy finally becomes captain, and she's going to give it her all to be the best leader the station has ever seen. Will she succeed? Get ready for fiery new romances and high adrenaline rescues. Watch the Station 19 season premiere tonight at a new time, 10, 9 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. From the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez. America's favorite late night talk program. Featuring interesting guests from around the world. And calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. Welcome to the Friday night edition of the program. Our phone number, if you want to join our late night national town hall conversation, feel free. 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. And there's plenty that we're going to get into tonight. I want to talk about a bunch of different things, but one of the things that... I want to uh, bring to your attention, in addition to the double standard in the media and uh, how the Biden administration just brings their heavy hand down on the media that they don't like, or how you can be a better member of your community, or just how important it is to protect our food supply, there's something else I want to talk about. Because today is the anniversary of something that should never have happened, but it did. But before I get into the 1954 attack on the U.S. Capitol, the real insurrection, I want you to hear some wise words from somebody dubbed by El Rushbo as Ronaldus Magnus. That's right, uh, the 40th president of the United States, Ronald Reagan. Well, I think it's time we ask ourselves if we still know the freedoms that were intended for us by the founding fathers. Not too long ago, two friends of mine were talking to a Cuban refugee, a businessman who had escaped from Castro. And in the midst of his story, one of my friends turned to the other and said, we don't know how lucky we are. And the Cuban stopped and said, how lucky you are. I had some place to escape to. And in that sentence, he told us the entire story. If we lose freedom here, there's no place to escape to. This is the last stand on earth. And this idea that government is beholden to the people, that it has no other source of power except the sovereign people, is still the newest and the most unique idea in all the long history of man's relation to man. Well, Reagan, I think, uh, hit the nail on the head when he was talking about his Cuban friend, saying that we don't have anywhere to go, right? If you're an American, if you're here, this is the last bastion of hope and freedom that there is. Find a freer country. And of course, there's, you know, a handful of lefties out there. Some of our favorite callers from San Diego and San Francisco and all the rest of those nice left-leaning places. They're going to call and say, well, sure, no, there's plenty. Look at uh, Scandinavia. Look at this. Look at that. The reality is no. 
right? The reality is it's it's not a freer place. These are places that are that don't even have black people, right? We actually have black people. We have indigenous people. We have people from everywhere. Uh, and we get more and more people from everywhere every day because we have an open border. But that's not the point. The point that I'm making is that America is the last best hope for the world in, in many ways, in many respects. And it was on a day similar today, March 1st, in 1954. That's a long time ago. When four Puerto Rican terrorists, they go by the term nationalists. And that's because they want Puerto Rico to be its own nation. And they believe that the United States is an imperialist colonizer that has taken over their their nation and doesn't let them live. And the exception or the umbrage that I take with that, again, my parents hail from Puerto Rico, is that this was a Spanish colony and was conquered by the Spaniards. The United States won the spoils of war in the Spanish-American War. So I want to know, and I would love for them to keep their same energy when they, you know, did they protest the Spaniards the way they protest the Americans? Now, it's true that some very, very, um, I'm not going to say drastic, but I'm going to use that word, but it's probably not the right word. There were some drastic measures that, you know, folks on the island feel were too much, like um, when this movement by what they call nationalists or uh, the independence crowd, right? They want to be independent of the United States. But the reality is the rhetoric that they use is the same exact rhetoric used by Che Guevara, the henchman to Fidel Castro. It's the same Yankee go-home BS, painting the Americans as the bad guy. Now, I could understand why they may see us as the bad guy, but in this situation, we're really not the bad guy. There may be instances where, you know, people, Margaret Sanger and her people, they went and they did a uh, a bunch of uh, experiments on fertility and uh, women died in those experiments. And I would be mad too if uh, if a bunch of people from, from stateside, you know, from the mainland came to Puerto Rico and started killing women. I'd be upset. I think you would too. But it doesn't tell the entirety of the story. And ultimately what happens is today and for the last 50 years or more, there's been a very active movement of people believing that they're supporting independence for Puerto Rico, believing that they're supporting their own nation state when they're really, in my opinion, falling victim to communist ideology and AOC all out crazy is no different now you do have to come to a a realization right at some point as an American of Puerto Rican descent one has to ask themselves do I love America or do I hate America and if you subscribe to the idea of independence and the notion of becoming your own nation then you may not like the United States and you may feel that the United States is just another colonizer. However, I, I again, I, I'll repeat, the United States didn't colonize anything. Now, is the United States guilty? Yes. In particular, I'd say Mitch McConnell. Mitch McConnell has failed to ever allow a vote and any, and any other leader, you know, when he was a uh, majority leader, he failed to, uh, to bring a vote when the folks on the island decided to vote. And they had three different plebiscites, and in all three of these votes, these uh, referendums, 
in every one of them. It was like north of 80% of the people that voted voted to become a state in the United States, meaning Puerto Rico would pay more taxes and be more involved as a state, uh, allowing them to, to have state rights like voting and everything else, the, allowing their resident commissioner, who's their member of Congress, to actually be a voting member of Congress. This is clearly the best, the best um, in my opinion, the best option. Now, in recent years, McConnell floated the idea and it's been become very popular with some Republicans, not all, that if Puerto Rico were to become a state, that it would automatically have two Democrat senators and a Democrat congressperson or a member of the House of Representatives. I would push back on that and say, where's the proof? I don't see any proof in that because... There's been a number of right now, the the resident commissioner now, um, Jennifer Gonzalez, she is a Republican. There's been a number of Republicans that have been elected as governor. Even the last governor uh, might even be the current governor. No, the last governor. Right before Pierre Luisi, uh, Wanda Vasquez. She endorsed Trump in his 2020 reelection. And she's not a Republican. But my point is. There's no shortage of Republicans on, on the island. There's no reason to believe that what Mitch McConnell and AOC want to be true, that if Puerto Rico were to become a state, that it would magically just produce two Democrat senators. There's just no proof. Puerto Rico's not as blue as New Jersey. It's not as blue as California. And, and there's proof to the contrary. So why? Why does Mitch McConnell... And uh, those that follow his lead jump on this bandwagon. Well, because it's easy for them. It's easy for them because there, there's a million different reasons for them to keep things the way they are. It's easy. It doesn't rock the boat. And perhaps there's even a financial interest. You know, perhaps. I'm being um, figurative, right? Hypothetically speaking. But senators that understand these issues a lot better, like Marco Rubio from Florida, understand that this is not a good position for, for the United States or for for Puerto Rico. The best thing for them, in my opinion, is to become a state. But again, I, I gave all of that background because today is that uh, anniversary of the attack on the Capitol. And it reminds me of a time that we're living in now. Now, I'm not saying people are going to go and attack the Capitol now and shoot members of Congress the way they did uh, in 1954. It's not what I'm suggesting at all. But I feel that the, the temperature is similar based on the history. And that's not what we need. So when Reagan says that we have nowhere to go, he's right. We don't have anywhere to go. It's time that we face the problems that we have and take them on. We can't continue to just pretend they're going to go away. That's why we're seeing Biden do what he wants to do when it comes to this one journalist from the Blaze Media. And uh, this guy was escorted out of uh, his office in handcuffs by the FBI. That's why we're seeing Catherine Herridge being fined every single day and held in contempt of court. The, the amount of liberty that we've lost, when people say, what rights are you losing? Just take a look around. When the media starts getting locked up and held in contempt, when former presidents are, are being uh, charged and they're trying to jail Trump, and it's not because he's Trump. I mean, it is because he's Trump. But to me, it's not because he's Trump. To me, it's about putting somebody in jail that doesn't belong in jail. 
you know that we've turned a corner and not in the right direction. So are we seeing a repeat of 1954 of that energy? I dare say I think we are. And we need to hit the brakes and turn it around. Folks, stick with me. We're going to continue this conversation on Biden, the media, and more straight ahead. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. And there was a story that I I woke up to today, and it was interesting because it's a guy named Steve Baker who was uh, released from the courthouse after he was arrested by the FBI. Now, again, this guy is a reporter for The Blaze, a conservative uh, outlet founded by Glenn Beck and then merging with uh, Mark Levin's uh, outfit. And this is... um, what ends up happening to the guy? Uh, he, he was arrested, they're saying, uh, over his January 6th reporting. And uh, it's just interesting stuff here. Um, I think it's, it's out there, right? This is pretty out there. But again, after seeing everything that just happened with Catherine Herridge and her being held in contempt because she won't reveal who her sources are that outed um, the people and the FBI were upset about that too. So it seems to me like the FBI is on a little bit of a tear. And... It wasn't that long ago that the uh, New Civil Liberties Alliance, uh, a couple months ago, sued the United States State uh, State Department for funding and developing and testing uh, a censorship program and technology uh, that, they, that they call the Global Engagement Center. So, I mean, it, it's just it's just uh, alarming, right, to say the least. At least that's my take on it. I want... Uh, Curtis Houck from Newsbusters, the managing editor there, to to join us and give us his take on it. Curtis, welcome back. Hey, always a pleasure to be with you. So what's your thoughts on this uh, uh, arrest uh, of of journalists and holding journalists in contempt for um, not revealing their sources? All right. So the Steve Baker one is really bizarre, you know, because. Because there was like inclinations that he was going to be charged, but he really, but according to him, he wasn't sure what he was going to be charged with. And typically, when you're the object of an investigation, you kind of have an inclination, at least your lawyer does, of like what you're potentially in danger of being charged with. So that really doesn't make any sense to me, um, which is not surprising, and obviously in all of this. And so then, when you look at like the charging documents, you know, Dave Marcus. Bubash Day pointed out that like one of the claims that they have against him is during the kerfuffle on January 6th, to put it mildly, Mm -hmm. uh, he he said when he heard that people were going into Nancy Pelosi's office, he said, I got to get that, too. And they thought that 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 was somehow incriminating, you know, that he was like up to no good. But you and I know, Rich, and like in journalists, like layman's terms, like, yeah, that means like I got to go get like footage of this or I got to go see this for myself. Like, or as a colleague was telling me today, he's like, if I saw somebody like do a really sick, like, 
I don't know, play or whatever in like ultimate Frisbee on the beach or something was his example. I want to take a picture of that. So there's a very confusing because he's like charged with disrupting official proceeding and disorderly conduct. And a lot of the things that other January six folks have been charged with. And, but again, it doesn't, it's just so bizarre. It is so bizarre. So like, it doesn't smell good and it will, and it clearly doesn't. You just like want more information, like from these people. You would think, well, obviously, you in a, in a perfect world, you'd want the law enforcement to be more forthcoming, our FBI, because you know obviously they work for us. But right, um, there's not in a theory. lot of details out there right now. So a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of people are rightfully concerned about it on Twitter. But like, I was trying to find like actual information, like what are the feds saying about this guy, and I'm not. Was not able to really find a lot about it today. And Catherine Harridge, real quick, we'll dive into more of that. But like Catherine Harridge, I mean, <laughs> Obama judge, by the way, the the yeah. judge that has found her in contempt uh, for as much as the David Brooks of the world admired the crease in Obama's pants um, <laughs> and admired him surfing back in the day and thought that he, you know, was going to really part the seas and slow climate change and everything like that. Obama was pretty terrible. Like, like in terms of law and order, like brass tacks, he was not good for journalists. And his legacy of that lives on with Judge Cooper's ruling against Catherine Harridge and her sources inside law enforcement. And I mean, yeah. it's Captain Harridge, you think you're having a bad, you know, we think we're having bad days recently. Captain Harridge is having a really rough time. She gets laid off from CBS and then she gets this ruling. Yeah. And, you know, I'm glad you brought up the Obama years because you're right. Obama was extraordinarily unfriendly to journalists. Uh, I remember um, just it, it was this bad. It was just this bad. And you kind of forget about it because, you know, you go through a few years of Trump and then you're, you're back to Biden. It's like, oh, my gosh, we're back in the gulag. But uh, lamentably, that, that's what it is. And yeah, I'm with you. Catherine Harridge is getting put through the ringer. And again, this is uh, it's just fascinating to me. Uh, and, and maybe it's maybe I'm not the only one, uh, but I feel like the FBI gets away with a lot. Right. Uh, a lot more than they probably mm-hmm. should. And and this is something I've seen for a long time. I have a friend who was a. Um, uh, a councilman in a small New Jersey town, and 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 he was in effect set up by the FBI. And I remember, he actually called me, and he said, "Hey, man, I need you to pray for me. Uh, th- these people won't leave me alone. They're trying to build a hotel in my town. I told them we we can't zone for that, and they just started dropping money into my account. And one thing led to the next, and um, they surveilled him and they arrested him. But he he thought it was the Russian mob. And when, when they yelled FBI, he said, wow, what a relief. I thought they were going to kill my family. And he's like, when they put me in handcuffs, I was like, oh, it's just cops. <laughs> and, and just to think that's what people are experiencing when they're dealing with the FBI. So uh, it, it's it's not that far-fetched, but it's, it's just unfortunate that we're seeing that. So I want to talk about uh, the media and continue our discussion with you, Curtis Houck. Stick around. Folks, we're on with Curtis Houck from the Media Research Center, managing editor there. Phone number here, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. Don't go anywhere. We're just getting started. I'll be right back.
named one of the best personal finance podcasts. The Stacking Benjamin Show with Joe and his friends makes financial literacy fun. I got an email today from the LenPenzo.com HR department. I find oh. it really interesting. <laughs> I'm an employee of one at this company, so but somebody from the HR department sent me an email telling me that I had a raise. If I just opened the attachment, I could see how much my raise was. Make sure you click on the links that are in there, too. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah, I can't wait. This is I'm excited. Find out more by searching the Stacking Benjamins podcast wherever you listen. Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Title Transference aired October 27, 2004. Director James Marshall, writers Todd Slavkin, Darren Swimmer. I really like this episode, and I'm surprised that you don't like it as much as you thought you did. I actually respect your opinion more than I respect my own in general. (laughs) (laughs) When you say things are good and I check them out, they are. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen. This is a lot of time being spent trying to, I guess, impeach the president at some point here. Is there anything? Zero. There's absolutely nothing. And the remarkable thing about this 229 page transcript when you read it is how little of it relates to Joe Biden, which is the ostensible purpose of this investigation, which has now moved into an impeachment investigation after uh, with 14 months in in the books here. So that is um, Congressman Dan Goldman. He's on Morning Joke today on MSNBC. And he says there's absolutely nothing to prove that Biden's done anything. Meanwhile, you have a whole bunch of committees in Congress that are making the case otherwise. And when the Biden administration doesn't like the media, we already know what happens. The FBI comes and they give you a hard time. But when they do like you, it's because you're ignoring the story that's going on. And that's exactly what we're seeing here. We've got uh, this brand new Biden family scandal. And of course... ABC, CBS, NBC, they're silent on this. Curtis Houck, welcome back. Managing editor of Newsbusters. What's the story here? <laughs> well, well, where to begin? I mean, this is yet the latest example that we've documented for years now at the Media Research Center, where every so often, a couple times a year, our Jeff Dickens will do a story saying eight new Biden scandals, nine new Biden scandals, eight new Biden scandals. I mean, the list just goes on and on and on. I mean, just in the latest batch, there were stories a few weeks ago, there were stories a few weeks ago from the New York Post that Hunter Biden's billionaire pals in Russia escaped U.S. sanctions. I wonder why. My personal favorite is a story that Politico put out. Politico, but they buried, even though the word, even though the story was four thousand words about how Jim Biden. Claim that he was going to get Joe Biden a stake in the company and get him on the board of this group called AmeriCorps Health that was buying up rural hospitals. Mm-hmm. Not surprisingly, it's just like Hunter Biden's life in general, it quickly spiraled and it really didn't go anywhere. Uh, it left a lot of rural hospitals in ruin. The company that J- Jim Biden cut bait from is mired in Medicare fraud scandals for overcharging on tests that 
uh, you know, seniors didn't need. Uh, Politico even alleges that a woman died because one of the hospitals bought up by Jim Biden's group uh, didn't have enough money to pay the bills and have enough, you know, supplies. Um, so, I mean, just the list goes on and on. The testimony of Tony Bobolinsky, um, and I go back to once from previous years where multiple Biden family members, not just Jim Biden and Hunter Biden, were receiving large sums of money that correspond to the business deals that they were doing in other foreign countries. So the liberal media are trying to make this huge thing rich about Smirnoff and the Burisma bribery case. Obviously right. not ideal. I'll be honest about that. But at the same time, you know, we're just like taking one piece, one example, one bullet point off of a list that is in the dozens at this point. So to say that this story has fallen apart is just absolutely ludicrous. And Daniel Goldman, I mean, come on, this is a guy who, when he was an MSNBC legal analyst, came on during the Kavanaugh hearings and said, I'm here to apologize on behalf of all men, as in the Republicans, <laughs> for the way they behaved. <laughs> it's like, all right, beta male, Mr. Levi Strauss hair, <laughs> hair, you know, one of the richest members of Congress. I mean... Give me a break. Yeah, he's he's a piece of work, and he was um, he was just as robust as Adam Schiff during the uh, the Trump impeachment for sure. Now, I'm I'm looking at the piece that you guys have on this, and it seems like there's always a new story coming out about Biden. Uh, we have his testimony yesterday. It seems like there's a lot of backpedaling, and and just you know they say, well, you did this. Well, what do you mean by this? You know that kind of thing. And and it doesn't seem to be moving as quickly as we'd like it to. If you had to speculate, where do you think this stuff ends? Do you think um, eventually there's there's an actual impeachment of, of Joe Biden in the House and the Republicans have the votes to pull it off? I mean, it's it's just uh, I want to be optimistic, Rich. But, you know, I mean, we, we've learned from some greats over the years, including the great one himself, where. You know, it's really hard to have faith in the Republican Party in Congress. I mean, let's <laughs> let's, let's just be honest about that. Right. And very frequently, I'll say the Republican Party is its own worst messenger. And I think that's definitely the way it works, you know, with the left, the way this worked with Trump and Russia collusion and or Trump and the Zelensky call. They really had their story down pat that the message discipline was impeccable from yeah. Democrats. Adam Schiff and every, had everybody rowing the same direction. Whereas with Republicans, we have dozens of examples of Biden family malfeasance, but you can't, you can't just go out there with a press conference or do a really cool Twitter thread. That's really only going to get you so far. And I think as time has gone on, this legal wrangling with Hunter Biden, they're trying to run out the clock. I really think that's what they're trying to do here. Right. Because they know with the a number of redistrictings that have been going on across the country in different states, they're hoping that there'll be a Speaker Jeffries and this will all go away um, or the pressure of that because elections have consequences. Throwing George Santos out has consequences. Uh, with a really small House majority, uh, they can't even agree on that Congress needs to, you know, live within its means. Um, I mean, it's just, I feel like it's slowly moving to the back burner, but you mm -hmm. never know. 
I mean, yeah. you, you want to have hope that they're going to turn this train around, but the evidence is there. The evidence is there. Do you honestly, does anybody honestly believe that Hunter wasn't telling Joe what he was up to when he was catching rides on Air Force Two to yeah. Romania or wherever? No. And getting those water Joe didn't look around, even despite his mental incapacitation, didn't look at him and just be like, what are you doing here? I'm flying halfway around the world. Why are you sitting here? Right. Folks, we're on with Curtis Houck, uh, MRC Managing Editor, and uh, we're going to continue. Curtis, you guys have a, an article up here that I, I'm just dying to talk about with you. Uh, it's uh, Joy Reid, and it says, um, the economy is <laughs> actually fantastic. Voters are just too dumb to notice. <laughs> and that definitely sounds like uh, something that she would say. And I, I want to talk about that when we come back. Folks, mm-hmm. we're, again, sure. we're on with Curtis Houck from the Media Research Center, He's the managing editor over at Newsbusters. Newsbusters.org is the website. Great articles. Uh, I've been looking at this stuff for years. And uh, the phone number, if you want to join us, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. for President Biden is that on the facts, the economy is far better now than it was under Donald Trump, who failed in his one job, react to a crisis. As president, you're a crisis manager. He was hit with one big crisis, the pandemic, and flubbed it so thoroughly, we were at 14% unemployment. Yet people, I hear people people, died. And a million people died, not even some people, a million people died because of him. And yet you have people saying, I had more money, I was rich under Trump. Not true, not possible. And the fact that he overcame his own objection to the STEMI, <laughs> signed a bill Democrats passed to give you a STEMI, mm-hmm. then took credit for the STEMI by putting a letter in the thing when you got the STEMI that said, you're welcome, Donald Trump, yeah. even though he was against the STEMI. Yeah. And now you got people in the street saying, well, Trump gave me a STEMI. No, he didn't, Nancy Pelosi gave you a STEMI. <laughs> She's such a hater. Uh, again, that's uh, Joy Reid saying, A, that Trump killed a million people, and B, that he did not give any stimulus <laughs> to the streets. <laughs> you can't make this stuff up. Curtis Houck, managing editor at uh, Newsbusters. Um, th- this is uh, just classic Joy Reid, no? <laughs> Yeah, this is Joy Reid. I mean, if she's not, like, angry, like, raging, she's coming up with insane takes. Like, she had this thing during the pandemic where she was saying that, like, Governor DeSantis and, like, Governor Abbott and Governor Kemp, uh, I know at least Governor DeSantis, she was saying that, like, he wanted to, like, in physically put make COVID, like, in liquid form and inject it into, like, the arms and backsides of Floridians so that they would die or something like that. Like, some really cockamamie stuff. I'm like, what does this woman think about in her spare time? How does she come up with these, like, weird, sick, like nightmarish fantasies about conservatives. Um, You know, just this week too, she and Melissa Murray, who somehow teaches the best and brightest of America's lawyers at NYU uh, came up with this conspiracy theory that Clarence Thomas and uh, Samuel Alito are going to rule in president Trump's favor and ensure that the majority opinion comes down as such because they want to see Donald Trump 
uh, reelected so that they can retire, not because they think that the president should have immunity, but because they want to retire, not you know, or because Howe, of the Constitution. This is a big thing right now. The other day I saw an article on a uh, like a New York uh, blog that talks about, you know, things that have nothing to do with politics, uh, where to go to the best <laughs> parties, you know. And all of a sudden there was an article there written by one of their writers that, um, again, doesn't do politics ever. They write about the best places to grab martinis. And they said, should the Supreme Court have lifetime appointments? And I thought, this is the beginning. This is the beginning of an unending attack on the Supreme Court because they already know the Supreme Court's going to uphold the law as it's written in the Constitution. And boom, uh, things are going to go Trump's way finally. And they already see that coming. So now it's time to to undercut the court, to delegitimize the court, to attack the court. And, and just, um, you know, the court doesn't matter, right? <laughs> it's kind of like when the Constitution yeah. doesn't matter. It's, oh, it's a living, breathing document. Anything they can do to just disassociate themselves. Right. Notice, in like, folks, when you listen to these so-called legal analysts, Notice how they don't really talk about the Constitution. They don't have a reverence for our founding documents. It's my boss, Tim Graham, and I were on Newsmax this morning. We were talking about how, like, you know, no, the left is the one claiming that Republicans are being partisan about this, that Republicans are being partisan in demanding the Supreme Court take up a case of profound importance on presidential immunity. And it's like, who are the ones who are – defeating and, you know, obliterating norms here. The president, President Trump and, you know, regular people, even CBS's Jan Crawford, who's one of the better journalists out there, she's pointing out the Supreme Court had to take this case. This is why the Supreme Court exists, to right. hear difficult exactly. topics. Because a ruling from the Supreme Court is final. It is not versus, like, a D.C. Court of Appeals, where it is one circuit of one part of the country, you know, yeah, they may think the same, but a court, a ruling in D.C. doesn't necessarily like affect what a judge in California thinks or a judge in Louisiana thinks. You know, whereas the Supreme Court, when the Supreme Court says something, it's kind of important. So, like, yes, guys, this is all about putting Donald Trump in prison. This is not about constitutional issues, and right. that's what's the important takeaway here. Yeah, and it just it's remarkable to me that whether it's. It's the Supreme Court or the discussion on the economy or anything else. It, it's just um, it, it's very one sided. And, and I always try to keep that in mind as I do this show. My views are, are obviously not in line with theirs, but I will play their clips and invite those people on the show as, as, as much as I can to make sure that everybody hears both sides and we can have that discussion. But it seems like there is no discussion. Right? You know, nobody ever invites me on CNN. They don't. Do they invite you on CNN or MSNBC? No, I was going to say, our, my boss, Tim Graham, back in the day, would tell stories how in like the late 90s, early 2000s, he'd square off against Par Paul Begala on CNN, or like yeah. our boss, Brent Brazel, would go on Scarborough Country back in the day. I mean, you're old enough to remember it. I remember those yeah. days. Granted, I was a little kid then, and I was a weird kid watching stuff like that at, you know, eight, ten years old. But, um, <laughs> but, like, but, but, but like, honestly, like, you think about that. Instead, what you get is cartoonish paraphrasings from Joy Reid and Joe Scarborough or edited clips or it's like in conservative media, we play what they say in newsbusters. We run the transcripts of what they say you. And, and that's what makes us different. 
just even on a fundamental level. You can even disagree with our policies, but the way we do go about our media ecosystem is so much different from the way they do it. It's this pie in the sky thing where they don't want liberals checking us out. They don't want you listening to this. They don't want you listening to talk radio God or reading like the it. Wall Street Journal. Yeah, because they might like it. <laughs> Curtis Houck, uh, let everybody know how they can uh, keep up to speed with all the work that you guys are doing at Newsbusters and the MRC. Yeah, uh, newsbusters.org. We are at Newsbusters on Twitter, at the MRC on Twitter, and I am at Curtis Houck, all one word on Twitter. Thanks as always, Rich. It's, uh, it's always fun. I appreciate it, brother. It is always fun, and uh, it's always good to get your take. I, I love the work that you guys are doing there. Big shout-out to you and to Tim and to Brent Bozell and everybody at Newsbusters and the MRC. Godspeed. Carry on. All right. Folks, there is more to come straight ahead. We're going to put a couple of calls in before we jump into the next hour. 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. Amigos, welcome back, familia. Again, the number 8334-VALDEZ. I'm going to get to your calls, I promise. But I want to talk about something crazy that I heard. And it's from Congresswoman Veronica Escobar. Now, listen to this. All I could think was, what communities is she talking about? Check this out. The fact of the matter is um, immigrants commit crimes at uh, less significant rates than native-born Americans. And in, in communities where migrants have been bust, crime has gone down. Uh, anyone who commits such a horrific crime absolutely needs to, to be prosecuted within the full extent of the law. But also the fact of the matter is when Donald Trump was in office, over a million migrants were released. Um, I'm, I'm sure that, that, you know, there was a fraction of those migrants who also committed crimes. The issue is not that migrants commit crimes. Um, the issue is we have not reformed a system that is badly broken. And it's been Republicans standing in the way of that every year that we've tried this for decades. So a couple of things here. Number one, I think she's crazy. What community is she talking about? The community of Times Square in New York City or the New York City subway system where there's a shooting or a stabbing just about every single day? This lady está loca. She's crazy. Now, listen, it may be very true that the vast majority of immigrants are not here to commit crimes. Now, her idea or her stats, and I'm sure she didn't make them up. She got them from some left-leaning think tank, probably the Southern Poverty uh, Law Center. But when she says that migrants commit crimes at a lesser rate or percentage than native-born Americans, I'll give her that one. I'm not saying it's true, but let's just presume that it is. It doesn't matter, right? If I'm in my house 
and I break something, that's an accident in my house. I broke something by accident. It's my house, and I broke it. My bad. If you sneak into my house and break something, well, you shouldn't have been here to begin with, so it's doubly as bad. Doesn't that make sense to anybody? Come on, Congresswoman Escobar. You can do better than that. And, and, and the idea that the communities where migrants are bust are safer. What planet is this woman on? I mean, is she talking about the communities where they're busing them out? Like where, what DeSantis is doing, sending them to Martha's Vineyard? Maybe it's safer now in Florida because they got rid of a couple of hundred. I mean, I don't know what to tell you here. All I could say is wherever you have these Venezuelan gangs, wherever you have these El Salvadorian uh, um, gang members, wherever these these people that are coming here for the explicit purpose of robbing things, robbing people, committing crime, knowing they can't be prosecuted, these areas are not any safer. It wasn't safer for Lake and Riley. It wasn't safer for the two-year-old that was just caught in gunfire. It wasn't safer for the 14-year-old that was just raped. Things are out of control and it has to stop. We have to have a better community. Stick around. I'm Rich Valdez. Don't go anywhere. Hour number two starts right now. Hi there. Sorry for the interruption, but are you enjoying this show on Google Podcasts? You should know that the Google Podcasts app is going away this spring. That's right, going away, gone, as in no longer available. You can still enjoy this show elsewhere, though. Try out Spotify or Amazon Music, or maybe TuneIn is more your style. Whatever app you switch to, be sure to follow so you never miss the next episode. And thanks for listening, wherever you listen. From the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez. America's favorite late night talk program. Featuring interesting guests from around the world. And calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. Welcome to the program. It's our Friday night edition of the program. If you want to join our late night national town hall conversation, feel free to give us a call. 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. And in addition to what we're talking about with the media and how things are going crazy with respect to the FBI arresting journalists and judges holding other journalists in contempt, there continues to be stories that need to be told and conversations that need to be had, and we're going to do that this evening. And uh, I want to expound on a little bit of what we talked about earlier. We left off with this uh, clip from, what's her name? Veronica Escobar, congresswoman, who says that the communities that have immigrants bust in are safer than those that don't. And it's crazy because all I could think about was Times Square. And is Times Square any safer where, you know, tourists are getting shot? 
by 15-year-olds who are trying to steal shoes. Not even Trump shoes, but shoes. And it's fascinating to me that somebody would say something so incredibly ignorant. But leave it to Veronica Escobar. I believe her hate of Trump totally blinds her from her ability to be even remotely objective. But putting that aside, it underscores a crucial point, which is community. We have to have a safe community. Without a safe community, there's there's nothing there's nothing left, right? I mean, it, it ultimately it's an extension of your home. Your home is within the community. You want a safe home. You want a safe community, a safe school district, so that you can have a a prosperous life for that for yourself and for your family. And I want to have a discussion on community because one of my favorite guests. Uh, former U.S. Air Force Brigadier General Blaine Holt. He uh, is the co-founder of Restore Liberty, but and you've seen him on Newsmax, and he's got a great column there. He's on Twitter at The Irascible. But something that he's doing right now is launching a new group, and it has to do with resilience, and it has to do with community. And I can't wait to hear about it. Because when I heard about KSRG, I thought, did he buy a radio station? No, he didn't. Those are not the call letters. But we're going to find out exactly what KSRG is. General Holt, welcome back, sir. Oh, my gosh. It's so good to be back on your show. I love our discussions. And I am very excited about the topic tonight because, you know, as crazy as this world is, uh, we're only going to be okay if we actually invest ourselves in our communities and if we take care of ourselves. We can't have the mindset that the government's going to take care of us. I think they've proven otherwise. And so mm-hmm. I'm, I'm definitely deeply invested in efforts across the nation, but also here where I live, uh, in, in, in folks who will understand that whether you're left, right, up, down, it doesn't really matter. We've got to be ready for some storms now. All right. Well, let's let's jump into this. Tell us about KSRG. What does it stand for? What is it? And why are you involved? Yeah. So my my national uh, nonprofit, Restore Liberty, we mm-hmm. part of us, we have and we encourage a program called County Guardian. And what that means is, is that we want to invest and we want to coordinate with counties across America where they understand that they have to take care of themselves, no matter what the storm is. It could be a wild card event, it could be a black swan, it could be a financial collapse, it could be an EMP, uh, um, illegals attacking, a World War III, it doesn't matter what it is, but it, but it does mean that your local government, if they get overwhelmed, we're all gonna be in trouble. So grassroots, let's come together and let's help each other and let's invest right. in each other as Americans do. And then here in northern Idaho, where I live, ASRG stands for Kootenai, and that's the beautiful name of our county here, Kootenai. And it's Stability and, and, and Resilience Group. And, and what that means is we're not here to stoke fear or get everybody crazy. We're here to tell everybody that, hey, um, no matter what comes, we should be resilient in a very uncertain year called 2024 
And whether you read the headlines and you get freaked out about World War III or whether you're worried about the stock market or a cyber hit on our planet or the next red balloon traveling across the nation, um, (laughs) we should understand that as a community, we're invested in each other and our best path to be resilient and to take care of each other is to set up plans and operations in case things do start to break apart. And that, that for us here, it goes from communications, alternate forms of communications, uh, transportation and logistics. Where are the resources in our county? What, uh, how would security work? How do we support our first responders and our local governments? And how do we prepare for the longer term so that we're not at each other's throats? It's the opposite of that. We're actually taking care of each other. I love it. It sounds like a beloved community to me. And folks, again, the uh, Kootenai Stability and Resilience Group uh, is the idea of everybody preparing their county and and just being prepared. And, you know, being a Boy Scout isn't a, a bad thing, right? I think everybody should be prepared, know how <laughs> no, to be prepared, right? The, the best thing that can happen is you never need those things. That's right. That's right? exactly right. But our first step is we've gone to all of our churches and we've gone to our, our volunteer groups in the county and we've said, hey, you know what? Fill up all your food pantries. Fill them all up. Fill everything up you possibly can. Because if, if things get really crazy, well, you know what? If, if we don't have a monetary system or if we don't have the ability to barter or whatever, we'll pay people in food. Um, but let's go ahead and get ready on that side of the equation so that that's not a problem. And and then that's how we keep our first responders on the job. That's how we keep our power uh, uh, professionals who provide power services to us, our water services. We keep them on the job because we're like, hey, no, look, we're, 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 we're all about keeping everybody together um, and and we'll handle it as a county together. But the first step is that. And the second step is communication. You know, we, we just saw that AT&T Verizon outage weeks ago. Oh, we yeah. had that crazy movie, uh, Leave the World Behind. Um, what if you couldn't communicate? So we're looking at alternative forms. There's different networks. There's radio networks. And we're exploring all of those things so that we can keep everybody apprised of, don't, don't be in an uncertain environment. Here's how you're going to understand and get news and information. I love it. Folks, we're on with uh, retired Air Force General Blaine Holt. You know him from Newsmax and from his uh, appearances on our program. And General Holt, if people want to implement something like this in their county, what do they do? Well, what they what they can do is if you like what you're listening to and you're like, I'm really inspired, and, you know, and it's not a political issue. It's not left and right. It's not. Republican versus Democrat. This is everybody. I have uh, a gentleman who's leading a group in King County in Seattle, Washington, of all places, who is, hey, we want to be a county guardian um, program. Can you help us? And and yes, we can. So restore-liberty.org. Or uh, if you want to look at a benchmark program, which is us, ksrg.org. And then you can learn about us and you can contact us and we'll, we'll share best practices. We'll share information. We'll plug you into networks 
and um, will give you a process for how your county can actually harden itself a little bit for the un- the uncertain times that we see in front of us. All right, General Holt, stick around because uh, I want to switch gears from this community to the larger community known as the nation. And I want to talk about how the nation's demise is no longer Hollywood fiction. So, folks, stick around. We're coming right back with General Blaine Holt. I'm Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. America, welcome back. We continue our conversation with uh, retired Air Force General Blaine Holt. And the title of his latest piece, The Nation's Demise, is no longer stuff of Hollywood fiction. General Holt, uh, I think this is a catchy title and one that's very accurate. Uh, Let's talk about your piece and overall the premise of it. Yeah, I appreciate you highlighting this. This is a very important, I'm, I'm not, first off, right out of the bat, I'm not fear mongering. You, you, I, I use the metaphor of escape from New York, the movie of our yeah. childhood where snake Pliskin by Kurt Russell is uh, sent in because New York is a prison colony in the dystopian future and it's all fallen apart and he's got to get in and get the American president out and uh, but what we, what we see in the movie is the remnants of a New York that's grand and has been torn down to its its absolute molecular level. And and what what I see in 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 the possibility set for New York right now is you've got truckers who are outraged by what just happened to President Trump right. in this kangaroo court that was run by Ogeron and Letitia James. And then businesses that are looking at, oh, there's no more rule of law. We have to leave. And so what would happen if we woke up and found out that New York had no items in the grocery stores that could be taken? And, and what would happen <laughs> if, if, uh, if, if, if we had a, a situation where all the investors and, and everybody on Billionaire Row said, this is not for me and I'm leaving, um, then, then that future – that was described in John Carpenter's uh, 1981 movie wouldn't be so uh, far from the truth. And, and what I'm, what I'm con- very concerned about is New York itself, the leadership, Eric Adams, uh, Kathy Hochul are doubling down on things that will bring them this. And I'm not even uh, uh, subscribing them to evil. I'm saying that these people are so incompetent, they don't understand that the hmm. money that, that, that floats New York will go away, and, and New York could be in a situation where it couldn't feed itself. But, but Rich, the bigger idea in my article is this is not limited to one city. This can be Atlanta. 
this can the home of Fanny. This can be Chicago. This can be San Francisco. This can be Denver. Um, that this is the conclusion of what these uh, extremist Marxists uh, and their uh, ideologies have wrought on America's cities and what it leads to. Folks, we're on with Brigadier General Blaine Holt, and I agree with you. You're not uh, fear-mongering, but it is very sobering when you put thought to this, when you think, man, they can't loot anymore because we've screwed ourselves so badly that they can't loot anymore. That's a horrible scenario. I mean, it's like it's like uh, when when communism set in in Cuba and people, you know, weren't able to go to the grocery stores anymore because they didn't have any more items. And, and that's remained like that. A friend of mine is in Cuba right now, and he called me the other day. He went there for the passing of a family member. And, and he was, you know, he just always reiterates. He's like, oh, yeah, I'll probably talk to you when I get back because I, um, there's no Internet where, where I am. He's like, if, if you're not in Havana near a hotel, you're not getting any Wi-Fi. And it's very difficult to make calls. And and he was he was explaining how and he said anything I need to fix for maintenance in the house, I've got to bring those tools and products with me because you're not going to find them here. And uh, including food. And he said, you know, they went on this journey. His wife came back before him. They're friends of mine. And she was telling me how they went on this journey looking for food. And, you know, this dystopian picture that you're painting is not far fetched. And it's very sad that this could happen in, in, in the Big Apple or anywhere else. And my, my thought here is Trump seems to be the only answer that we've got, right? The only person talking about reversing this trend. But there's got to be more than just a, a single election of, of one individual. What else is there, General? So Americans have to absolutely push back now. They have to understand they have enough information to make an assessment. We, as Americans, we're not moved to anger quickly and we're not moved to action quickly as a group. Historically, that's been our course. But, but, but what more information do you need? Um, if the truckers in a perfect storm say, I'm not going to deliver to New York, and if, if, the, if the investors like Kevin O'Leary or um, Grant Cardone say, New York's not worth investing in anymore. Um, then New York becomes the poster child for what America looks like when we go into steep, steep decline, uh, because that's what will become of New York. Imagine going to a grocery store and not being able to find a head of lettuce. Um, if you recall, in, in 1987, at the height of the Cold War, just as the Soviet Union was breaking apart, the, the chief of staff, right after the Cold War was over, the chief of staff of the Russian military came to Washington on a tour of America, and he saw the abundance in our grocery stores. He saw the vibrancy of, in our societies. He saw all of the things, and he wept openly and publicly in front of all of the TV cameras to say, there's no way we could have beaten America now that I understand what America had. And what he was pointing to was not our weapons. He was pointing to our abundance and our freedom and our society that was fine all by itself. Now, let's get to today. We don't have that today. Right now, we look more like a Moscow grocery store as a metaphor for what we see. And we have a government that's pitted against us in an oppressive way, much the way the crown was 
uh, pitted against us in 1775. Wow. And, and we're in trouble. We're in trouble. So, so it gets back to, will we take care of each other locally? That is the key. There is Give no us the savior. Website. No one is coming. It's us. Right. We're it. Uh, let everybody know the website again so they could uh, check out the program and get involved if they're you know, so moved. Oh, sure. So one is ksrg.org. The other one at the national level, if you want to start your own county guardian program, it's restore-liberty.org. And we will help anybody. We don't care. Left, right, up, down. We're all Americans. We can have our fights later on. Um, that's not important right now. It's important that we come together. Outstanding. General, uh, as always, I want to thank you for being here. You're a gentleman, a scholar, and a patriot. Godspeed to you, General. Great to be with you. Thank you. You bet. Folks, we're coming right back. We continue our conversation with you all, plus our calls, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. Familia, welcome back, amigos. We continue our conversation, and I want to talk about a documentary, No Farms, No Food, which focuses on the current and upcoming uh, constraints on ag- the agricultural industry and individual farmers as governments begin to force climate change restrictions on farmers all over the place. And obviously this suggests that people should just start eating bugs, right? As food. We've heard that stuff before, uh, but it it's taking its toll and it's getting worse. And Roman Balmakov has uh, produced a documentary and I want to get his take on what's going on here because this is definitely not good for any of us. Roman, welcome. Hey, Rich. Great to be on here with you. Thank you. Tell us a little bit about what inspired you to to do this particular documentary? Yeah, you know, I, me and my team were seeing all these uh, farmer protests spring up around the world. And, I, you know, I'm sure you and your audience have seen them, too. You had uh, sure. in, in Germany, they were fighting uh, diesel subsidies. In the Netherlands, there was a large um, sort of a forced appropriation scheme that was happening there. In Ireland, they were culling cattle. Uh, in Sri Lanka, there was like um, sort of just a push against synthetic fertilizer. And so we were seeing these protests and thinking, like, it's so strange that the government would be fighting farmers. Because you can imagine a government fighting, like, a sinful industry, like, you know, cracking down on prostitution or drugs or things like that. But when we saw this, like, global fight of not an external fight, like an internal fight of governments punishing their own farmers, right. uh, we, thought, we thought there was, like, something, something else going on. And so we just began traveling uh, to all these different countries, speaking to the farmers, speaking to, speaking to any government officials which would be willing to go on record with us, which unfortunately, unfortunately is not that many who are willing to actually justify their, uh, justify their stances. But what we were able to find is that even though, like on the surface level, all these different farmers, they're fighting against d- different things, like different aspects of the agenda. When you trace it back, it all goes back to the UN. To the UN, their agenda 2030, 
and the sort of the green policies, which then trickle down from this inter- international level uh, into like concrete, real on the ground bureaucratic manifestations in each individual country, uh, given that country's own sort of makeup. So in, like Sri Lanka, they're a socialist country. And so the president there just overnight just said, hey, no more synthetic fertilizer and nobody was allowed to use it uh, versus like in the Netherlands. They had um, this uh, agreement in place from the uh, 90s where they could set up nature preserve areas. And so hmm. the uh, the organizations there, they implemented the policy by just expanding those areas like a hundredfold. And here in the U.S., uh, we have the Waters of the U.S. Act, the Endangered Species Act. And so the people who are aligned ideologically with this green agenda, they're using these laws in the U.S. sort of push farmer, farmers out. So it's like one agenda coming from the U.N. Uh, and it's getting trickled down like a hydra you know it's like one body but many many heads uh hmm. so that's sort of what we were able to uncover through um, our year-long investigation which manifested in the um uh, documentary now is this the first film you've made or have you made others no this was this is my first film I, I have a show uh that i produce on a, on a daily basis but this was a <laughs> this was an intense project uh, a full year of work yeah the first one i've ever made oh so you're a tv guy that went into documentary filmmaking yeah yeah that's right wow cool and what, what's been the, the response to, to the film thus far? I mean, thus far, it's positive, you know, and, and I'm actually really glad because it's, it's one of those things where, like, again, like I, I know you, you have a program as well. So it's like, you know, when you put out content on a, on a daily basis, you, you feel like, OK, well, I, you know, I, I can do this research. I can put in this work and the, and the viewers are watching it. I can see the numbers. But when you mm-hmm. spend like a full year making something you're it's like yeah <laughs> you know are people actually hope this gonna, thing works like, walk, yeah exactly yeah uh, but i'm glad you know I, I meet people uh all the time like even last weekend i um i was in cpac over in washington dc and mm-hmm. some uh some uh uh lawmakers came to me from uh I, I think there was two one from wyoming and another one from uh minnesota and they said that they've been showing the documentary at farmer uh organization meetings there so oh, they can okay. fight back against these uh these policies at a local level. So that, that's really heartening. Folks, we're on with Roman Belmakov. He's the producer of No Farms, No Food. And uh, again, this documentary focuses on the constraints on the agricultural industry. And I've been hearing a lot. I mean, I just saw yesterday the attorney general of the state of New York, uh, Tish James, who, you know, when she's not going after Trump, she's now going after the biggest uh, meat producers. Because they're doing everything they can in the name of climate change. Meanwhile, I know that they say all these things and you can't do this and you can't do that. And they want to tax every head of cattle at some insane price to drive up the cost of beef. But at the same time, they're allowing foreign beef to come in. And I just don't understand the hustle. You know, it's, I guess it's all about money because it's not really about eliminating red meat. Yeah, and that that's what we were able to sort of expose to where... I mean, my, my understanding of it is like right now at a macro level, there's these two competing ideologies in the world. You have the globalist philosophy of like a real centralized power structure, um, which sort of supersedes national borders. And you have like these supranational organizations and these like transnational corporations. Um, and so basically like an elite class at the top, which coordinate things globally, uh, of course, all for the greater good of us, right? <laughs> all for the greater good of the plebeians. Uh, but like, directly counter to that, counter to the UN and the World Economic Forum, right now you have these nationalist sort of populist movements springing up across the world with the farmers being yeah. just like the biggest manifestation of that. Um, and, and like you mentioned, Letitia James. So the, the way that like the UN and the World Economic Forum policies actually manifest is through things like what she's doing. 
right? She's the one actually on the ground who aligns with this ideology. And, you know, so you mentioned that. So I'm on her Twitter page right now, and this is uh, what she wrote just the other day. She said, I'm suing uh, one of the largest beef producers um, in, in the country. And she says, the beef industry is one of the largest contributors to climate change, and JBS has falsely advertised its commitment to sustainability and endangered our planet. And so it's like she's very obviously after going after Trump, she's sort of, in my opinion, positioning herself for a gubernatorial run or governor's run probably in the next um, mm-hmm. upcoming cycle. And so it's like politically, this is the move to, to make. Right. It's like to go after the farmers because they're bad for the for the environment. Meat is bad. Uh, and, and because technology has gotten to this point, you can actually do that because that, back in the day, you could say, well, I'm going to go after farmers. I'm going to you know, get people to eat less meat. But you couldn't really do it because there was no alternative protein sources. But now you have um, uh, fake meat, right? You have th- that industry springing up. And you have uh, edible insect, that industry springing up. And people <laughs> who are aligned with this crazy. ideology, they actually see this as a potential future food source for people to replace the protein if they're to take away the beef and the, and the chicken for the environment. So it's like it, it's all very <laughs> interconnected and dystopian if you, if you really start to dig into it. Roman, when, when you heard about this, um, I, when I heard about this, like the eating of these bugs and, and insects and whatnot, um, did your research lead you to a place that shows that these insects have as much protein as a steak? Uh, well, th- that's a difficult question to answer. I mean, it's like it's a per poundage thing, you know, so I mean, I mean, they're, they're definitely a source of protein. And like the, the insect thing is interesting because we weren't necessarily like even thinking that was going to be a theme in the documentary until it just started coming up over and over again. Like, I mean, the question is very obvious. Like, if you get rid of all these farmers in order to, quote unquote, save the planet, like, what are people going to eat? And it just kept circling back to insects. You have all these celebrities suddenly promoting insects. Uh, The EU uh, is cutting all this red tape and and allowing insects to be sold as food. And it's just, uh, I mean, it's happening. There's like a large insect plant, actually the largest in the world, that's opening up in uh, Decatur, Illinois, uh, it's going online uh, actually later this year in uh, late 2024. And I mean, it's happening. Like this industry is growing. Um, and w- one thing I, I would want to mention is like, I, 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 even though it's like very sort of uh, in the milieu to be like against insect eating, like I, I'm really not like it's a specialty food. If you go to Trader Joe's or, or, um, or Whole Foods right now, you can buy insect chips and cricket chips and uh, grasshoppers and stuff like that. It's a, it's a niche market. You know, it's not a, mm, not a big lovely. deal. People are interested in it. But I think that the problem is that the government and these people who are ideologically aligned with a green movement, they're creating a, <laughs> like an, an economic environment where like, let's say 30 years from now, you might go to the store and you see it. Well, the steak, you know, costs, let's say, you know, $74 a pound, whereas the insect alternative to the steak costs $5 a pound because they've sort of created that, uh, envir- that economic framework that puts mm. so much restrictions on the farmers and so few restrictions and so many subsidies on the insect producers that like families are just sort of forced to eat this alternative meat source. That, that, that's, I think, the future that, um, that uh, is more likely to happen. Roman Balmakov is the producer of the documentary No Farms, No Food. We continue with him straight ahead. This is America at Night. With Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S.
All right, America, welcome back. We continue with Roman Balmakov. He's the producer of the documentary, No Farmers, No Food. Uh, I had the wrong um, title in my screen. And Roman, when it comes to a documentary like this that is likely um, very controversial to some who don't agree uh, or who fear that this information gets out, um, I know a lot of documentarians have faced censorship over this stuff. Did you have any issues in distributing the film? Uh, distributing it? I, w- I would say no. I mean, you yeah. know, yeah, we, we built our own platform. It's called Epic TV. Uh, we built it like we built it out because we were censored for other topics on YouTube. And ah. so because of that, we were, we were able to just host it ourselves. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's gotten like 3.3 3 million views thus far. And yeah, so I guess not. So if people <laughs> want to watch it, where do they go? So you know what? We were able to snatch up an excellent uh, domain. They can go to nofarmersnofood.com. Great. That's easy enough, right? Go to yeah, nofarmersnofood.com. And once they get there, they can do what they've got to do, watch the documentary, download it, whatever it is. Yeah, or just right. watch it. It looks like you could, they get to watch it for free. Oh, yeah. Just I think if they give us an, uh, their email, they can watch it for free. Yeah. Wow. That's awesome. <clears throat> now, with with a project like this, does it um, you said a year and a half and it sounds like a right amount of time. Do you do you foresee yourself doing um, another one that would be this intense? Uh, I mean, potentially, Um it just it just kind of depends on on if there's a topic that uh, sort of like needs it because on my program, which is a facts matter for anyone that is interested, you can find it on YouTube. Yeah, let everybody uh, know where they could find it. It's uh, if you just go into YouTube and you type facts matter, like F A C T S mm-hmm. matter. Uh, yeah, you can find it on there. It's uh, it's a good channel in my in my uh, you know in my own opinion. Um, but but yeah, with a documentary, I, what I really feel is like you can cover a topic multidimensionally and really in greater depth and, um, and just so much better and so much deeper than you could with a, with a daily show. Um, but you know, the, the, the other side of that coin is that it's difficult, is that it's difficult. It takes a lot of travel, a lot of manpower. And so, yeah, I mean, with the farmers, you know, there's a, a ton of developments that have happened since we put out the documentary a few months ago, like, like, um, the EU headquarters over in, uh, Brussels, it's, it's surrounded right. by farmers who are just, uh, like dumping manure on it and just blockading the roads because the agricultural ministers of Europe are meeting and, uh, they're just sick of it. They're just t- so tired. They're, you know, they're doing what they're doing. It looks like a war zone actually. Um, so yeah, I mean, it definitely could, could have a follow-up. And let everybody know how they can continue to follow the work that you're doing. Uh, cause again, for anybody who doesn't know, um, Roman has a, a lot of different stuff that he covers on his daily program, and uh, this documentary is specifically about farmers and food. But you've covered a number of topics, and I've seen you you'd had some great coverage of uh, like Russia Gate and whatnot a couple of years back. So tell everybody how they can follow you. Yeah, I mean, uh, simply if you if you have a YouTube account or you're on there, just go head on over to Facts Matter, you can find the channel, or uh, head on over to uh, Epic TV. Uh, that's epic tv e-p-o-c-h tv.com uh i put uh stuff on there like extra episodes on there that are not unfortunately welcome on youtube uh they're still like completely fact-based and everything is properly sourced it's just you know youtube has an algorithm that basically crawls whatever you say and if you talk about 
you know, things that are uh, not in line with, with, with the, their ideological framework. They just, they can kick you off, throttle the Love video. It. Yeah. Isn't that how it is? All right, yeah. Roman, I, I want to thank you for being here. I want you to send uh, our best to uh, everybody over at Epic. Uh, got some good people over there like Yanya Kellick and Cindy Drew Keir and yourself and many others. And um, you are a gentleman, a scholar, and a patriot. And keep up the good work. Rich, thank you so much. And I know you're uh, here in the New York area. If you're ever in Manhattan, uh, come visit us. We'd love to show you around the studio. I will. I'll take you up on that offer. I'll do it real soon, actually. Uh, talk with you real soon and hope you'll come back soon. Bye. You got it, brother. All right, folks, we continue with your phone calls and more straight ahead. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. America. Welcome back. So we're talking about farmers. We're talking about so many things that we talked about, right? Earlier, I was talking about the 70th anniversary of the attack on the U.S. Capitol by four Puerto Rican nationalists led by Lolita Lebron, who today is still celebrated as a freedom fighter, as if she's a hero. Again, I look at her as a, as a terrorist, but this is the the beauty of life, right? That there are so many people that see things so differently on every side of the aisle. And it's interesting because my, my brother, well, I have a bunch of brothers, but one of my brothers, uh, he, he loves to um, partake in the, what everybody calls conspiracy theories. And he's, he's very well informed on lots of things, but he just loves this stuff. You know, and, and every day, every day, I get one or many um, text messages about make sure you have cash on hand, make sure you have gold, make sure you're ready to go with silver because the financial system is going to collapse. And I have no doubt in my mind that we're all probably going to see some sort of uh, financial issues arise. Uh, when I don't know, because you know I'm not an economist and I'm not a fortune teller. But I can tell you, when we look at the way our government works and the way we spend money and it's inevitable, in my opinion. Right? How, how do we maintain the system that we have? It, I'd say it's nearly impossible to maintain the system that we have. Why? Well, because we spend all this money. We don't create any money other than the printing of money and the taxation of money, right? The, the, the I don't want to say theft, but, you know, the government takes your money and they spend it for you. So... How then, you know, how do you prepare? Well, obviously you need to be prepared one way or another. But my, 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 I guess the crux of it here is 
that I feel if you say every day there's going to be a financial collapse, there's going to, and he's been saying this, I don't know, since 2017, and it hasn't happened yet. Now, my my response to him is, you know, it's likely going to happen one day, but I'm not going to sit here and wait for it like you are. You know, be as prepared as you can be, but I'm not going to not take a trip because it might happen that weekend, or I'm not going to not do this or not not do that because that's just crazy. Now I'm allowing the fear to control me. That's exactly what our enemies would want. Right, so I bring that up to say that there, there's so many people that believe in this stuff. And they believe that, you know, Biden's not really the president. Look, I believe that Biden may not be calling the shots, but he's definitely the president. Anyway, we're going to talk about that. Uh, we're going to talk about everything we've talked about tonight and all of your calls. Looking forward to a very, very, um, let's call it robust open phone America tonight. So everything is on the table. 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. I'll be right back in about seven and a half minutes. the city that never sleeps 17 miles from madison square garden new york city it's america at night with rich valdez america's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across america and now here is your host rich valdez Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. Welcome to our number three on our Friday night program. Our phone number, if you want to join the late night national town hall conversation, give us a call, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. And plenty to discuss tonight. Uh, just a couple of things. An Alaskan fisherman found a crashed, you guessed it, spy balloon. It was hovering over Alaska. Uh, this seems to be the trend. Uh, now we've got a little update on Senator Bob Menendez on this program. He's known as Gold Bar Bob. And Gold Bar Bob uh, has a co-defendant who has pled not guilty in his bribery case. Uh, Biden announces, ah, who cares about him? He just, if you don't know about me, you ain't black. Right, let's see, what else we got here? The CDC ends uh, the five-day isolation for COVID. Good. Uh, Oregon legislature votes to recriminalize drugs. I think that's a, a good idea. And, and there's a couple of more that I want to get to. There's a, really a few good ones in here tonight that are really, really interesting that I'm going to get to in a moment. Uh, but I wanted to recap a little bit of what we discussed tonight so far because we had a lot of interesting conversations tonight. Uh, we started off the evening uh, with a conversation about the media, right? The Supreme Court has agreed to take Trump's immunity case and this is a big deal that has kind of um, just set the ball in motion for all things left, right? Every Everybody on the left, left within the media, the left within academia, the left everywhere, they are now uh, full speed ahead on the attack on the Supreme Court because they know the court's job is to interpret the law as it's written. And it's clear what the law says. 
It, it makes no sense in the world for Trump to be adjudicated prior to this election. He announced he was running before they announced they were investigating him. So shame on them for not bringing this case before he decided to run for president. That's on them, not on him. <clears throat> now, what I'll say to that is they know how this is likely going to end up for Trump because they knew it was BS from the beginning. So what ends up happening now, everybody's going to take shots to discredit and, um, and malign the court. And oh, you know, one of the articles I saw, and I was sharing this earlier, is uh, a piece about why, why questioning, you know, we're questioning why we should have lifetime appointments. Now, you could question whatever you want, right? It's like going to work and, you know, you work a nine to five and you go there and you start thinking aloud, maybe even thinking with your boss saying, you know, why is it that we do this whole nine to five thing? Like, why don't we just do like a 10 to six or why don't I just do whatever I want when I'm here? And then the rest of the time I could do when I'm at home. And I'm sure some people think that's appropriate in today's world, but many people think you do as you're told at work. And that's the job. The job is to do what your boss wants you to do. And, and, you know, these are just, I guess, differences of ideology and opinion, but that's where we are. There's an attack on the Supreme court because it's likely going to side with Trump. They're saying it's completely corrupt. The court is corrupt because it's doing its job, all right? And same thing they said when the court decided that it was bad law, Roe v. Wade. So all that being said, we talked about that. Then we had some additional conversation, right? We had a little bit of a, a talk uh, moving on from the media to how to be better prepared in, in the event of a, a, a community emergency with General Blaine Holt. And uh, we also talked about how things aren't as great as, you know, Biden would like us to believe that they are and what that looks like in America and, you know, how this used to be the stuff of Hollywood movies, but we're actually seeing these things happen. And, of course, we talked with Roman Balmakov from uh, Epic Times, who is the producer of the documentary No Farmers, No Food, and that was very eye-opening. You know, it's how they're pushing people to eat bugs, saying that's how you get your protein. And if you get your protein from bugs, then you don't need to eat steak anymore because steaks are bad for you because farming uh, or, you know, being a cattle rancher is bad for the environment. And I think that's insanity. But it seems like there's a big sinister plan to control the food supply. And in particular, there's been an attack on fossil fuels. There's uh, an attack on methane and cow farts. There's an attack on animal uh, protein. Uh, just eating any animal is, is you know, it's, it's horrible to, to the left. And this is problematic for many people. So we're going to talk about that as well. And I want to get to your calls before we take the first break. Uh, let me see. Let's go to Joni. Joni's calling us from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania on KDKA, America's oldest radio station. Joni, welcome to the program. Hello. You're on with Rich Valdez. Yeah. I don't think I would eat bugs. Good for you. I don't think I would eat them I, either. I Why not? Is it not your type of thing or you don't think you'd like the taste? It's not my type of thing. Mine either. <laughs> now, should the situation with beef become very difficult, uh, more expensive, harder to get, uh, do you think that would change your mind and make it more appetizing? Uh, no. What about if we put it in soup, kind of like beans, you know, maybe like a bug soup? No, no, no. We're not selling you on the uh, on the bugs, huh? Well, what do you, what do you think overall? 
with with this idea of eating bugs? Do you think it is going to be a, a popular alternative to meat, given um, the government's push uh, and and their inter interconnection with with so many corporations? Do you think they'll be able to convince people that um, they're better off eating bugs than eating beef? No. Yeah. I'm with you. I, I don't think anybody's going to buy it. But you know what? I've seen these crazy people uh, that have gone from saying, you know what? We're no longer taking showers every day because we heard that it ruins a layer of your skin to people saying that they want to eat bugs. And, you know, to each his own is all I could say. Joni, thank you for the call. Nice to hear your voice. Big shout out to everybody listening on KDKA in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And let's see, we uh, continue with your calls and more straight ahead. The phone number 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. All right, America, welcome back. We continue with your discussion on everything and your calls. Uh, I want to go to Sue in Schwanksville, Pennsylvania, WXDE. Sue, what are your thoughts? Well, regarding the insect thing, I think most people would not knowingly eat, eat insects. But if you eat strawberry yogurt or yogurt that's pink, you're already eating dried insects because they use a coloring that's extracted from the dried, pulverized bodies of something called cochineal insects. It gives fruit-flavored yogurt their pink color. Wow. I didn't know any of, anything about this. So it's yeah, not strawberries exactly. that, make it, uh, that make it pink? No, I don't think so. It says here. Um, and I, I found several sources for this. When I was going to call you, I thought, let me find one. And it, there's lots and lots of articles about it. This one is from UPI News, whatever that is. And uh, they talk in here about that. It says, uh, Michael F. Jacobson, executive director of the Center for Science and the Public Interest in Washington, said Dannon uses carmine, a dye extracted from the dried pulverized bodies of cochineal insects, to give fruit-flavored yogurt their pink color. The dye is used in the strawberry flavor of Dannon's Oikos brand of Greek yogurt, Two flavors of Dannon's Light and Fit, and uh, Greed uses the, the uh, extract as do six of the Activia yogurts. It says here they also use natural coloring such as purple carrot juice in their Danimals line of yogurts. But yeah, there's there's insects in the pink yogurt. You learn something new every day. 
Sue, this is crazy. Now, I want to get your take on a couple of things because um, we had um, haven't spoken with you in a while, and there, there's so much that's gone on. We had um, Dr. Phil on yesterday, and he mentioned Brandon Judd, and Brandon Judd was at the border with President Trump in that dueling press conference that he had with uh, Joe El Baboso Biden. And Joe, you know, was talking about climate change at the border, and Trump was talking about the murder of Lake and Riley, uh, you know, the college student that's the same age as my daughter. And and I, I just can't wrap my head around who is it that gives Biden this advice? What's your thoughts on that? Oh, yeah, they're giving him very bad advice. And, and not just at the border, but this this little incident where he where Seth Myers took him to get ice cream. And, you know, the, the pictures of of. Biden eating the ice cream and Seth Myers, you can see Myers is like, it's almost like he's enjoying humiliating the guy. You know, I mean, who, who tells him that that's a good idea? People can't afford groceries and he's walking around having ice cream and stuff. I, I mean, it's a let them eat cake moment, if you ask me. Yeah. Hmm. And I did hear that Dr. Phil interview. Yeah, that was excellent uh, when you had him on. Oh, well, thank you. Well, I appreciate that, Sue. And I, I think you're right. I think that's a uh the the consensus is that Biden's out of his mind. And I, I don't know. I, I'm just I'm trying to convince myself that there's no way that he can win. But I'm just I'm not there yet. I'm not there. yet, And I hope I get there. Um, anyway, I appreciate your call. Let's see. We continue. <clears throat> Let us go to Michigan and uh, check in with Jeff. Jeff's calling from Lansing, Michigan on W.I.L.S. Jeff, go right ahead. You're on with Rich Valdez. It's great to talk to you again, Mr. Valdez, and that's Valdez with an S, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, you're a good listener, sir. Yes. Uh, but talking about this, this, this uh, a food thing, now, I've been on this uh, kick for oh, a long time, and, and I buy survival food. Uh, I hoard things like uh, beans, oh, pasta items, but you know, you know what I mean? And, mm-hmm. and, and I've been stocking up on this stuff for a long time. What concerns me the most is there are so many people. Well, plus, I'm a hunter and a fisherman and outdoors kind of guy. What concerns me the most is there are so many people, especially in, in, in uh, the big cities, they don't have these skills uh, or they don't have uh, the ability to, you know, go out and and get their own food. And that's where the chaos is just going to break out. I mean, you know, if, if, you know, the excrement hits the fan and then that's where, you know, all this, uh, I think murder, total chaos would take place. And if the store shelves get empty, they have nowhere to go. They have no idea what to do with that situation. Yeah, uh, listen, I think um, you're right in the sense that people uh, can get caught with their pants down, so to speak, right? And you don't want that to happen. But if you don't have any, um, like you mentioned, if you're not prepared with, you know, whether it's the meals that are ready to eat, or, you know, a supply of water and canned goods or whatever, you know, whatever your, your plan is, uh, you can get caught with your pants down. You don't want to get caught uh, by surprise in a situation where you're stuck. 
And, you know, again, being in the radio business as a broadcaster, we typically we typically have a backup plan and even sometimes a backup plan to our backup plan. Uh, but not always that thought out. Right. And and I think that's how we all need to to kind of be prepared with everything in life, not just, you know, uh, an over the air broadcast, but you name it, be ready. Um, and I think um, General Holt um, would be in agreement with you where he said, you know, make sure if anything you can fill, fill it. So whether it's your gas tank, your um, your medications, prescriptions, whatever it is, just you know, stay on top of things. Uh, it, it will never hurt you to to be prepared. And like I told him, the worst thing that could happen is you never need this stuff, and that's not such a bad outcome. Anyway, thank you for your call, Jeff. I appreciate hearing from you. Big shout out to everybody in Lansing, Michigan, on WILS. Uh, let us continue. <clears throat> Let's go to Paul. Paul's in Zanesville, Ohio. Paul, go right ahead. You're on with Rich Valdez. Hey, uh, good evening, Rich. You know, hey. uh, as far as what Sue said, you know, I think that's why I never really did like yogurt, okay? And, mm-hmm. I, and I'm and i sure as to heck not going to eat uh, any bugs, I mean, unless it comes down to, you know, you have such good callers that it, it, it triggered something in my mind that Jim Bohan had a show with a couple of survivalists. They was bear hunters. But anyway, mm. back to what I was saying. Yeah, and, um, you know, wh- whoever looked at a lobster and said, hmm, that looks good to eat, you know? <laughs> so you right. just never know. Yeah, yeah, you know, you might have to come down to that. But I, I, as far as me, I'm old enough now to where, no, I'm, I, I'm not eating anything like that. I'm a steak and potato guy. So... Um, I had something else to say, but dag on it, you, when you listen to some of, some of your callers, you know, you, you, you get your mind boggled a little bit because they're so good. And you're doing an excellent job, Rich. I want to oh, tell you that. I, I appreciate and I really that, like, Paul. I, I like Dr. Phil, too. That Dr. Eh. Phil, uh, you know, uh, he says the same thing. He echoes Larry Elder. You know, he really Yeah, does. yeah. I, I agree. They, they have, uh, they're, they're talking about similar things, uh, when it, especially when it comes to protecting the 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 family and listen uh, we should all sound that way right i think that's that would be key for all of us to make sure that we we sound that way you know paul um i think you made a point that was pretty interesting to me you said who would have thought that looking at a lobster would go hey that looks good to eat and you're right it's got claws it's it's brown or red depending on where you're getting it and and, you know, it looks like it'll bite you and whatnot. But, you know, once you boil it and it screams and it's it's done screaming and it's now it's boiled and it's good and it's cooked and it's drowned in butter. My goodness, how delicious. Right. And, uh, you know, it made me think if if we boil the crickets enough, will they taste like lobster? I don't think so. Right. Uh, but, it, you know, I guess I can't knock it till I try it. And uh, now I feel bad about that because I don't want to eat bugs, but I'm eventually going to have to to try it. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, I appreciate it, Paul. Big shout out to everybody listening on WHIZ. And when we come back, I want to get to the rest of your calls. We've got calls from Delaware, from Idaho, from Ohio, and more that are coming in. The phone number again, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. <clears throat> and something I wanted to mention to you was... Um, I wanted to circle back to the thought that I had earlier. Two things I want to circle back on, uh, at least touch on before we go. There's a couple of stories, so three things, a couple of stories that I, I need to um, to reiterate with you. And there's also the 
the um, I just wanted to, again, in this third hour, just kind of circle back on the idea that today is the 70th anniversary that four Puerto Rican nationalists terrorized the United States Capitol. And they did it in the name of collectivism, of, of you know, communist sympathies. And, and I think this is a problem and one that we need to not forget so that we don't repeat that history. Anyway, we're coming back and we're going to discuss the, the New World Order and a whole lot more. Don't go anywhere. I'm Rich Valdez. Senate has voted to pass a bill to recriminalize drugs in the state. Now, the bill passed through the House earlier this week. Hard drugs were decriminalized after voters approved Measure 110 back in 2020, but that rollout has been widely criticized. A lot of people blaming Oregon's and Portland's drug crisis on Measure 110. Now, again, this is just something that I, I can't help but laugh at. Right. I mean, how could you not laugh at something like this? And again, I don't mean to laugh at, you know, any of the misfortune that, you know, may have occurred from drug use and abuse and overdose. But come on. Measure 110, it's nearing its end as the legislature sends a bill uh, to to uh, recriminalize this. This is crazy. Right. Why did you decriminalize public drug use in the first place? It was a stupid experiment. It's clearly a failed experiment. The Oregon, um, and it's not Oregon, it's Oregon. Um, but the Oregon Senate, I'm from New York, we get to say that, uh, passed this uh, bill, 4002, on a 21 to 8 vote with support from both Democrats and Republicans. Well, of course, nobody wants to see, in Spanish, they call them decatos, right? These guys, these base heads, the, uh, the drug addicts, um, you know, doing what they do, getting high in the middle of the street. So now it's going to go to the desk of Governor uh, Tina Kotek, who has declined to say whether she supports the bill or not. I mean, this is just crazy. The whole thing is crazy to me. Why on earth you would allow this? Among uh, the many provisions that the uh, House Bill 4002 offers, it also expands access to medications that are used to treat uh, opioid withdrawal, uh, creates new addiction services uh, facilities, and makes it easier for prosecutors to seek steeper penalties for drug dealers. With the bill, we're doubling down on our commitment to make sure Oregonians have access to treatment and the care that they deserve and need. That's uh, Senate Majority Leader Kate Lieber. She's a Democrat out of Portland. Uh, She co-wrote the bill. Lieber argued that House Bill 4002 will be the start of real and transformative change for our justice system. I mean, you've got to be kidding me. The real change for your justice system is when you decriminalized public drug use and you created a scenario where people were just getting high in the streets and it became so bad that you had to change your stupid law and do it in the name of we're trying to get people help. No, you're full of it. You're fake, you're phony, and you're a fraud. 
Unbelievable. Anyway, I want to get your thoughts on this and more. Uh, let's see. Where do we go? We go to Akron, Ohio, WNIR, and check in with Peggy. Peggy, go right ahead. You're on with Rich Valdez. Tell me, Peggy, do you think it was a good idea for the folks in Oregon or even the folks in Seattle to um, decriminalize public drug use? Oh, I am shaking my head. It's sad. It's really sad because they're not helping the addicts or the addicts' families or any of the people who have been touched and hurt by decriminalizing something like that. I'm with you. It's sad. Very sad. It's it's a horrible thing. And I'm glad that they're recriminalizing it. But I mean, what was the sense in doing it in the first place? It seems to me like some some people on the f- extreme radical left are really just extreme and radical. I mean, that's crazy to think that we, we don't want to get people in trouble. We don't want to hurt them. So we're going to allow them to get high in the middle of the park where kids go to play, where people have their lunch, people who aren't addicts. I mean, since when do we have to change the way we live and change the way our children live to accommodate the people that are afflicted. I mean, I thought that's why we had hospitals and rehab facilities and whatnot. Whole thing is warped. Now, Peggy, I know you, um, you heard our, our conversation about bugs. Uh, what, what are your thoughts on eating bugs to replace meat? My mother traveled the world and my mom used to say that people everywhere ate bugs. Hmm. She said, I, we I, don't eat bugs in this country, but apparently yeah. we do in our yogurt. <laughs> That's so funny. You know, I, I'm, I'm sure we've all eaten a bug here and there, you know, inadvertently. <clears throat> and but uh, and I know I've seen Fear Factor and other shows where, you know, in other places, people do eat bugs. But I think that, you know, I thought these were the first world problems that I liked having the idea that we could have a lifestyle where we could eat a a piece of a cow rather than eating a bug, right? If I was really hungry, I would want a bug, Rich. (laughs) Now, would you take the bug with condiments, sautéed, stewed, fried, raw? How would you do it? I don't know. Ranch dressing. (laughs) It's like ranch and cheese, right? You can put that stuff on anything and it'll work out. Oh, that's terrific. I love that. Peggy, I want to thank you for your call. That really put a smile on my face. That was funny. Ranch dressing. Akron, Ohio, WNIR. Peggy, call back anytime. Uh, we're going to get to your calls right now. we got a few people on hold, and I, I have not forgotten you. We're working our way in order of appearance. Don't go anywhere. I'm Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S.
All right, America, we continue with your calls and more. Let's go uh, to, let's see, let's go to Lori. She's in Decatur, Illinois on WCRA. Lori, go right ahead. You're on with Rich Valdez. Yes, I listen to you guys all the time, and I really appreciate how honest you guys are when you're talking and, and educational, just one end to the other. And I was calling in because I had taken my nephews to, like, Brooklyn Zoo, and they had, it was like bug week or whatever, but they had crickets there or grasshoppers. I don't know which one. they. I think they're more crickets. But they had, had them dried. And then they had, like, barbecue and ranch dried seasoning on top of them. Wow. And my nephews ate them. They said they just tasted like chips. They were crunchy, but I couldn't make myself do it. Huh. Yeah, it does sound kind of gross, but I'm wondering if that's a, a new source of protein that I might be writing off. That's crazy, Lori, and I appreciate I appreciate the compliment and for you listening. Uh, I always appreciate everybody that listens to the live show and everybody that's listening on delay. I know in some markets you guys get us at like 3 a.m. I'm happy to be on at 3 a.m. as well. Um, And if you ever want to call the show during the live part of the show, you know the number, 833-4-VALDEZ. Lori, thank you for your call. Big shout out to everybody in Decatur, Illinois, where they recently threw Trump off the ballot in Illinois. Lori, before you go. Did you hear that there's some innuendo out there that the judge that took Trump off of the Illinois ballot was a traffic court judge? Have you heard about that? No, I haven't, but I'm definitely going to do some checking into that. Yeah, yeah. I I haven't confirmed it myself, but I I did see an initial report of that. And I said, that can't be can't be a traffic court judge. It shouldn't be any judge. I mean, that that's already been uh, kind of handled. But I guess um once the Supreme Court handles that, you know, they won't be doing that anymore. But it, it's and I thought they had already uh, gone in that direction. But either way, um, I think you and me both need to open our minds to the world of bugs with ranch dressing and uh, and find out more about this this traffic court judge. Lori, thank you for your call. And before we get to the next call, I wanted to make a quick announcement. This is just a point of personal privilege. My daughter, she's 18 years old and. She uh, was just named Employee of the Month in one of her two jobs. So I want to congratulate my little Chachi because I'm very, very proud of her and I love her very much. So congratulations to her. And uh, let's continue. Let's go to Doc. Doc is in Wilmington, Delaware. Um, Let's talk about all sorts of crazy things going on in the world, Doc. Yes. I want to thank you for being on the air. Thank you for taking my call. And I want to thank you for covering the new world, the new world order, as you have done so beautifully over your past several shows, going back several several months now. Um, you're the only guy that's doing it on, on major media, except for Glenn Beck. You and Glenn Beck are my, my, my main guys in the new world order. It exists; it's existed, existed for a long time, and now it's coming out in the open. They want to rule us. They want to take away American sovereignty, and you are fighting for freedom, my man, of every person on the planet. You know, you're not lying. Let me tell you a little story. <clears throat> So, again, I'd heard a lot of bad things about the U.N., and I said, ah, let me let me see for myself. That's I'm a see-for-yourself kind of guy. I'm very hard-headed. And there was an organization called the United Nations Association. And um, I joined this group and got involved to learn more about the sustainable development goals and all of the things that they were doing. And, and at first, 
everything comes across as what it is. You know, they want water in, you know, places that don't have water. They they want, you know, in, in countries where they're beating women and, and like Iran, where they're killing them because they're not wearing their burqa right, um, you know, or, or the hijab, I should say. They, you know, they were there in a, in a humanitarian manner trying to put an end to these things. However, just like everything else, right, we have laws on the books in the United States that say if you're seeking asylum, you must seek asylum in the country closest to you that does not present a threat. And most people don't follow that at all, and they skip one country, they skip two countries, they'll skip as many countries as they need to until they get to Texas. And they're at the United States border, and now they're like, yeah, I'm seeking asylum. Well, I mean, that's not even how it works. Even the international part of it doesn't work that way. So it's clear to me that just because you have laws on the books doesn't mean that you're going to follow those laws. And when it comes to uh, the stuff that I learned at the UN, there's a lot of well-intentioned people that are, you know, pro saving the, the world through the environment that are just, you know, very, very progressive minded liberals. And they're not bad people per se, but there are people at the UN and higher and private industry and, and others in government all over the world that they use this as a front, as a ruse to, to get the buy-in of unsuspecting people that really mean well. And that's how they do it. And they'll say things like it's in the name of climate change and we're doing this. And they won't mention how, you know, how detrimental it really is to the people. And I learned more and I learned more. And I, I'm not going to say everybody that's at the UN uh, is some sort of sinister bad guy. But I will say that these sustainable development goals and uh, Agenda 2030 and the previous agenda, th these are things that can definitely be contorted into something else for power grabs. And to, like you said, to minimize or eliminate the sovereignty of any nation so that they could integrate the UN and and the multiple agencies that they represent more easily into other governments. And some governments appreciate that because they need the support. And I think there's others that, like ours, that want to be more independent and more sovereign and will make the choices accordingly as to where, you know, they're, they're going to be involved. So I say all of that to say, in fairness, <clears throat> Not everybody's a crazy Klaus Schwab type of lefty at, at the UN. And I've been to the General Assembly a couple of times <clears throat> for this annual group gathering. And I've even been to Congress, you know, I'm not going to say lobbying, but finding out if they were on board, especially during the Trump years. That was uh, when I first started, I think 2017, 2018, um, 2019 maybe was probably the last year I was involved in that. And I did it because... Trump was was in the White House. And at the time, he was saying things like, we're going to stop funding uh, for the UN. And I thought, interesting, right? This is a, a, a potentially a good thing, because if we don't fund the UN, we're the biggest funder of the UN, then the UN is in effect, um, you know, I'm not going to say a, a paper tiger at that point, but a, a lot less effective. And they don't have their own military, but they have people donating military to them. Um, so I learned a lot. And in saying that, there are, like I said, there's people that will prostitute any, anything that was meant for good and use it for bad. And I think that's what we see at the UN. 
And that's why I'm happy to talk about it in whatever capacity I'm able to talk about it, you know, from a position of knowledge or authority or whatever. Uh, I'll, I'm happy to do that if I have some knowledge about it. And the stuff I don't know about, you know, I ask our wonderful guests because I think it's important that we realize that these groups like the um, UNRWA, right, the UN uh, refugee, whatever uh, group that ultimately had members in it that were pro-Hamas and anti-Israeli. And, you know, this anti-Semitic type of move is is not a good thing, but it was well known and it happened again. So my point is, yes, we have to be vigilant, excuse me, and we have to be aware, Doc. Thank you. Yeah, well, thank you. And I'm glad you brought that up, and I thank you for your compliment. But before you go, Doc, I want to get your thoughts on, you know, the New World Order and the way that the UN Agenda 2030 is playing out for people that are just trying to get their own way. Well, we have to fight this thing politically not just with us as Americans, we have to integrate with other nations of like mind. Examples, you, you talked about the farmers. Mm-hmm. We have to make the farmers of the world unite under our aegis. That we, don't, we, don't, we weren't born to be the world's policemen. We were born to be the world's firemen, to put out fires, okay? In my, in my thinking, Rich, and I want your thoughts on my thoughts, we yeah. should unite with farmers all over the globe, Sri Lanka, the Netherlands, Poland, everywhere, France, the, the Netherlands who want to fight this darn stuff and unite with them with our farmers and their farmers and then put put the UN out of business on this kind of garbage. Well, listen, I, I like the idea of the UN being put out of business. My, my thought there is that ultimately the UN is like a clearinghouse for the bribes that we give to other countries that we call foreign aid in order for them to stay in line with us. Uh, and if you don't stay in line, then you get military intervention. I think that's the way it's always kind of worked. Um, I don't think that we can continue to do that because we're in a different space now. That's number one. Number two, sure, farmers, why not unite them? Uh, we should have, um, it, w- whether they're united or not, I think it, let them communicate. Let them have the ability to be together. That That's a, a, a given. And, and ultimately, I think we just need to watch out with what we're doing and not fund the U.N. so that we're back in control. Because we, you, the last thing you want to do is fund your enemies. We're seeing how that plays out now, and it's never a good idea. Doc in Wilmington, Delaware on WDEL. Thank you, sir. Have a great weekend. Folks, we're coming right back with the rest of your calls. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, this is a mega fast speed round. Hopefully you get it all in. Uh, But what I was going to say to Doc before we wrapped up that call was that I don't care who organizes what, but we have to remember the calls of Ava Perone, right? Workers of the world unite. And whether it's workers or farmers, we've got to be careful about creating a new type of, uh, uh, you know, revolt against the bourgeoisie. And it's it's a, a repeat of of that playbook. Anyway, let us, um, let's see, we've got three calls and I can't get to them all. I'm going to go to, I'm going to start with one and see how fast we can go. Let's go to Bloomington, Illinois, W-H-O-W, Becky. We have seconds to go. Go right ahead. I want to give you the laugh for the night. 
AOC was on one night, and she was running off her mouth about uh, how cows fart and pass out into the ozone, and they're ruining it for us. Hmm. Her answer to this, all out crazy now, her answer was put a cork in Put a cork in it. Love that. Becky, thank you. Paul in Idaho, Sarah in Indiana, I appreciate you guys. We'll chat again on Monday. Take care, good night, and God bless you, America. Hasta la próxima. I am Rich Valdez. The Ed Milet Show showcases the greatest peak performers sharing their journey, knowledge, and thought leadership. This is one of the all-time best pieces of advice ever given on the show. Actor Rain Wilson. The number one thing that psychologists point to with young people of why they are struggling so much in this mental health epidemic is they don't have resilience. So how do you build resilience if you don't understand suffering itself? The Ed Milet Show is available on YouTube or wherever you listen.